0: All right, everyone. Welcome back to another weekly roundup edition of On the Margin. Today, I'm joined, as always, by my munificent co-host, Mr. Mark Yusko. Mark, welcome back. We missed you last week.
1: Munificent. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the welcome back. I, I apologize for being out last week, but I was actually out speaking at a private equity conference, uh, trying to orange pill a bunch of very wealthy people in Utah. And uh, I think I may, may, yeah, I got the orange shirt on for for Bitcoin Friday um again it's too hot to wear pants so the sock reveal will be boring today i'm not going to climb up on the table like i normally do but okay we got the bitcoin roller coaster end of summer roller coaster is back you know for my friends at mount socks uh, so look sock game is is still good but today is very special day today is our one year anniversary, which means it's our paper anniversary. So I, I actually got you a little, you know, anniversary present. Did you really? Oh yeah. Oh it's God. paper. That is so nice. It's that is so nice. It's paper. A 100 wow. trillion, wow. you, ne- you are a trillionaire now. Michael, you are a trillionaire. So as as well as munificent, I'm being benefic- beneficent. And a hundred trillion, and this would not buy a loaf of bread hundred trillion, and again, for people not you know playing the game at home, one trillion, not a hundred trillion, one trillion. You and I have to do this show for thirty-one thousand seven hundred and ten years continuously, which would actually be most unpleasant, and spend a dollar every second. Now I'm good at spending money, but I'm not that good.
0: I mean, Tell you what, Mark, thirty-one thousand years sorry. with you does not sound so bad, my friend. So if you'll do a little handshake agreement here. If you handshake me, all right, let's do we'll, it. Uh, we'll let's lock do it it it. in right now.
1: Let's do it. So we're we're at year one. We're at year one. So we 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 need uh, you know thirty one thousand seven hundred nine more. Um, but hey, we could do it. All right,
0: I got to give it to you here. It's my weekly ask for you now. You know we've got DAS coming up, Mark. You're going to be there in person. This is September thirteenth and fourteenth. This is going to be in New York. For those of you who haven't seen Mark do a live talk, it is truly. Site to behold. We've actually got an old YouTube video of him. If you go all the way back, uh, you know, super far back on the Blockworks Macro Channel, you'll see we have got a video of Mark, uh, you know, with the boxing gloves on. It's it's really something. But um, it's it's a great conference. And we actually just recently announced that uh, Dan Moorhead, um, and one of the head of uh, digital assets at Tomasek, is going to be there doing a fireside. Really, really great mix of some of the macro folks that you've seen on this channel: Daniel Martino Booth, Mike Green, Alfonso Pecatiello uh, Dan Tapiero really, really just gonna be a very special institutional connection between traditional finance, asset management, and crypto. So uh please use code Mike250. 250 get Mike250 gets you $250 off. Jack and I are neck in oh, neck. Come right on,
1: now. y'all. Mike 250. Okay, I'm I'm tweeting right now. Mike 250. Let's go, y'all. Come on. Really, really want
0: to win this one. Kate needs this dinner. So please do it for her, if not for me. Um
1: all right, come on, um, Jim, buy one for all the people at your firm. Come on, Jim. I know you're watching. So come on.
0: All right, everyone. Jim Bianco is actually a good segue here into the first topic because we are going to be talking about bonds. So the three topics that we're going to be covering uh, during this roundup is we're going to be talking about bonds to kick things off. Then we're going to be talking about the U.S. housing market, which I know you and I have talked about a lot, lot market in the past. And then we're going to be talking about the labor market, because those are some of the biggest takeaways from Jackson Hole. And frankly, I think it's the most important part of what's determining monetary policy and probably the economy moving forward from here over the next three to six months. So I'm going to try to pull this up on my screen, share it. And uh, actually, this is a chart for my colleague, Jack Farley. Give me, Jack, we're in competition. I'm still sharing charts that you made. To be the bigger person here as per usual. But we're looking at a an index that Bloomberg's puts, Bloomberg puts together about uh US bond market. And as Jim Bianco has actually pointed out, you know, the, the headline of this of this chart is that it's it's the worst start to bonds uh you know year to date basically ever, right? The the kind of headline is this arbitrary yep. figure. If you're down 20% in one year, that's a bear market. The headline is this is the first bear market for bonds in a generation. That's because it's referring to this particular data set here. And that only goes back to 1990. So as Jim correctly points out, it's actually the worst start to the year in for probably more than the last 30 years here. So I guess, Mark, when we're looking at this chart, what's your takeaway?
1: Look, um, nothing good happens below the 200-day moving average. So that's first. Uh, the direction of surprises tends to go in where you are relative to that, to that line. So when you're above, you get positive surprises. When you're below, you get negative surprises. And we've had negative surprise after negative surprise after negative surprise with respect to, to interest rates. And I think most of markets didn't believe that you know Jerome the Hawk would be back, right? They, they thought that, look, when he was appointed, he was buttoned up, he wore his suit and he was Jerome. And he was, he was going to be this hawkish, you know, uh, Volcker-esque, you know, guy. And, And then he quickly, you know, once Trump started beating on him, he quickly became Jay the dove and he backed off on raising rates. And, and then, you know, in, in 2020, he became Jay, just the letter J with the hoodie. He was a pusher right i mean he was standing on the corner handing out hits and i mean he was no one believed that jerome could ever come back and uh, i did a around the world yesterday and i had this great cartoon from investing.com they do these great weekly cartoons and uh, you know when i was growing up you had alfred hitchcock movies and you had outdoor kind of big screen you know drive-in theaters and they had a, a great one of uh and, and every um, poster, you'd see, you know, the side view of, I don't like my side view, but the side view of, uh, of, uh, oh my God, Al- Alfred Hitchcock uh, in the lower, and then the picture of of the movie. And so The Birds was this famous movie about the birds attacking, uh, and they got the hawks. And so they had, you know, J-Pow um, down here in the corner looking, you know, very Alfred-esque, uh, and um, so that was interesting. But and then interestingly, I was giving my speech in Utah last week as J. Powell was making his big pronouncement from Jackson Hole, just you know up the up the road. And the title of my speech, what they asked me to talk about, was uh, call sign J. Powell for my you know nod to, to Top Gun Maverick. Uh, call sign J. Powell, uh, recession depression or soft landing, right? Because he promised us a soft landing. And what we got for sure is recession. Now the question is, do we have a depression or are we headed for a depression? And is he gonna make a policy error that, to push us into a depression? And that was that was the, the conversation. But I, I think to answer your direct question, the bond market is a reflection of um, fear, and that fear is that the liquidity provision that happened two years ago that resulted in, in why I gave you this hundred trillion dollar bill that that we just printed all this money out of thin air. I think people have realized that that the value of that money is dissipating, and so with the Fed cranking down, trying to put that liquidity back in the box, I think people are realizing this is this is ugly. And, you know, the problem with bonds is after a 35 year bull market where interest rates just went down and down and down and down and down, there are only three things that could happen with bonds, and two of them are bad. Right? You could, you could hold them and make your your 2%, and inflation is higher than that. So you lose. You could hold them and interest rates could actually go up like they did and you lose money or in this case a lot of money the only good thing is interest rates keep going down but if that were to happen it's because recession depression and that that may actually still happen so we'll see
0: the reason why i wanted to get your take here just on the bond market in general is i feel like that's kind of the the top layer Uh, thing, right? I mean, that's the base layer for basically the financial market. I want to see how that's trickling down to mortgages, because you and I have talked at at large, right, over the course of the last year uh, of our relationship here about the U.S. housing market, the importance of that market. And as we see rates tick up, right, uh, in U.S. treasuries, the 30-year mortgage rate has responded accordingly. So again, I'm going to share my screen. So this is the U.S. 30-year fixed mortgage rate, right? And as we see the 30-year fixed mortgage rate rise, you know, what we should see is a corresponding drop in the price of US homes. And we are, if not fully seeing that yet, we are beginning to at least.
1: Well, and I don't, and I don't think people appreciate how big that move is, mm. right? 30 year rate doubled from three to six. And you know, one of the things that, again, you know, your your anniversary gift mm. points out is prices change. Over time, and people don't feel it, don't notice it because it's happening slowly. And so it only affects you if you're coming new into a market. So, you know, like, you know, we're newly wed, so to speak. Right? And and let's see how far
0: we can carry this analogy.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, if we were out to, to buy a home, uh, the fact is, homes are unaffordable, right? Unaffordable. I mean, A starter home, 350, 400, 500K, depending on where you live. I mean, you know, want to buy an apartment in New York City. Just nonsense numbers. Oh, no, it's very affordable because the interest rates are so low. Oh, so they they talk about housing affordability. It's like everything's now payments, right? People don't talk about what a car costs. They talk about what's the the payment is, right? right? And and here's a crazy thing that... I just learned, and this just blew me away. You know, where everyone talks about, you know, zero interest loans on cars. and You see all the commercials. That's like a tiny fraction of people that get that, mm. that actually have a FICO score that's high enough. The average car loan is double digits. And there's a whole swath of people in this country paying 20 to 29% for car loans. I, are you kidding me? I mean, that is, that is robbery. That's theft. That's, that's egregious. Mm. And so I just don't think people really understand how bad it is. And, and for interest rates to go from three to six, you just took a whole swath of people who thought they were going to be able to buy a home gone, no chance because the average home price is too high because we have printed too many of these pieces of paper and we have uh, money illusion, mm. right? We have this this thing where prices of everything are super high. I, I you know, this is this is only anecdotal, Mike. What I'll just share. yeah. So I don't go to the grocery store very often. Okay, full stop. You know, it's not my not not, not part of my job. Um, but I, you know, Stacy needed something to finish dinner, so I had to get one thing, one thing, just one thing. So I walked in, and you go right through. The produce section to mm. get into the store. and I could not resist summer fruit. So I I'll I'll just get a couple of nectarines, a couple of plums, put couple in in bag, I get my thing, I walk, plop them down on the scale. ten dollars.
0: Mm.
1: ten dollars for seven pieces of fruit. I'm like, are you joking? yeah, I, I I wanted to put them back, but i I couldn't. and I'm like, and again, I'm not. It's not in a braggadocious way, but how does the average person pay for that? I, I don't like paying for that, and I'm not super wealthy, but that's just I. It, uh, I was, I was crazed.
0: So I think the reason why we're why we're highlighting the the price of homes is, is for two key reasons, right? There's that old saying that the housing market is the U.S. economy, right? So the housing market tends to be it's a, it's a lagging, but it's a huge driver. Of the U.S. economy for two reasons, right? Because one, there's so many different raw materials that go into the building of a home, right? I mean, it's it's a huge economic driver. For you know, when prices of housing go up, then you get new housing starts that you know drives directly a whole bunch of different, yep. a whole bunch of economic you get activity.
1: Furniture, and then you get gardening, and everyone starts then putting, you know, ripping up money and throwing it on your lawn, right? Like the lawn, it, I think it was created by the Scotts Company. <laughs> Right. They they created grass to to take money from us. It's I I hate my lawn. Yeah. I, I mean I hate it. it. It costs me so much money, and I don't even. I mean I have this little tiny thing, and it just dies. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh, you need to replace it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, replace it with what? It died, so it's probably going to die again, right? Oh no no no! We'll try a different with different seed. No, it dies again.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's it's you know it's it's an important part of the economy in general, but also it's an important it's a it's a you know U.S. housing kind of sits at the heart of this social contract of the United States, right? Which we basically said, it's a good thing. You should want to own land in the beginning. Then you should want to own your home because owning a home is a big unlock for people, right? Especially young people, right? You save up money, you buy your first home. You can use that as collateral. You can take out line of, uh, you know, line of a HELOC basically on it. You can, you Mm -hmm. can gain liquidity on it. It's a big financial unlock for you and it should appreciate, right? Over the course of your life. So it's like, Sixty to eighty percent of most people's net worth lies in their home. So the fact that it has become unaffordable for an entire generation is just big. And you know, you and I have I've talked about for a little while as we were in kind of this run-up period here, right? Basically, the entire year, you know, starting in January, we've seen you know mortgage rates run up from a, I think this is a historic low. I don't think they've ever been this low. You know, sub yeah, yeah. sub three percent, and they've doubled over the course of the last six months. And what we haven't seen is that corresponding. Decrease in the price of homes, decrease in the price of rents, especially in major urban areas. Those have all just been screaming up. But as we've talked about, there's a lag effect with that, right? So it takes a little while for the market to price these things in. And I think what we're starting to see is a turnover in the housing market, which has implications for the broader economy writ large, um, which is what I'd love to get your opinion on. But also, you know, it, it also could, I guess, make things more affordable for people that want to buy homes, but it still feels pretty far out of reach. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know if the housing market is something that you've been paying attention to or, or zoning in on. No,
1: I, I pay attention to it a lot. And look, I, I'm I'm in a different camp than most, right? I, I think we've peaked in inflation. Mm. I think we've peaked in this interest rate cycle and, you know, maybe he'll- try one more time to, to get some some bullets in the gun. But I, I think the economic contraction that's upon us, uh, you know, they haven't called it a recession yet, but the economic contraction that's upon us is, is meaningful and it's big. And I, I think you're going to really see it for all the reasons you just discussed, that this this compounding effect as the ball starts to roll down the mountain, you know, the snowball then starts to pick up size and it's going to crush some people in its wake at the bottom. And I I really think there's all this hopium, right? You know, you see company after company this quarter miss earnings like badly. I mean, yesterday it was MongoDB and, You know, stock was down like 25% in a day. And the problem is it's still selling at seven plus times revenue. So it could fall another 75% and still be expensive. But all kinds of companies, Microsoft, et cetera, miss badly. But then promised, oh, by the end of the year, we're going to be at double digit growth. No, no, you're not. And saying it won't make it so. And so I think this chart, particularly that the housing price drop, is is absolutely real. Like just again anecdotal, you know, on my street here in in Chapel Hill, uh, a year ago, because my my son, son son-in-law, and daughter moved back here from California, and they were ready to to buy a house, and they went out to look, nothing. I mean, nothing. And anything that came on the market, twenty offers. Gone, you know, 20, 30% over asking price. I mean, it was, it was cray cray. And you can see that big spike, that you know, three lines over um, spike. And now one just went on the market at the end of a street, another one went on the other end of the street. And, eh, you know, the one did sell, or it says under contract, but it, it wasn't like a bidding war. And I think. It's starting to... Now, North Carolina is unique in that Apple is coming for their second headquarters. So there's a lot of people still going to come here for that. I think like 4,000 families, they're saying. That's a lot um, to absorb. But other places, um, you're definitely, definitely starting to see it. And look, I believe we're in a recession that's going to get worse like Europe, look at look at Europe. Like look at all these posts of the electricity bills for small businesses. If a small business shuts down, okay, so if a small business shuts down, and we can get into the whole debate of whether that's the intent of this whole thing or, or whatever, but if a small business shuts down, what happens to the economy? A whole bunch of people get laid off. A whole bunch of people who normally went there and spent money into the economy don't go there and spend money into the economy. So there's a there's a, a multiplier effect.
0: Mm. Can, um you know, just, I don't know if you saw this headline, but you know it was a bit of a you know the base case the Goldman um you know their base case for inflation in the UK is like 14.8 percent, but it could get it could top 20 percent CPI headline inflation in the UK. I mean that's a that's a pretty wild statistic. And I guess the reason why we're bringing up you know bonds, housing in general, um you know you and I have talked a little bit about. Obviously, we saw one enormous sell-off basically starting and everything kind of peaked in November, December of last year. But then we've seen a a pretty big rally since then, right? And you're starting to see some people say, well, is this, you know, uh, know, inflation being transitory and we're moving back and everything's going to kind of resume? Or is this a bear market rally? And I feel like, you know, we're starting to get some data points that suggest that that was a bear market rally and we are in this deeper recession. And what I would point to there is, you know, the dollar, the Dixie Index, just hit a 20-year high. Right? we're just under 110 uh, yields on u.s treasuries the 10-year is starting to steadily creep up especially post jackson hole we're starting to finally see that effect of the housing rollover right so what we're looking at here is uh the s p core Schiller uh 20 city composite home price index there's a month over month change for the first time in june it dropped pretty significantly um so what i'm wondering is are we at this inflection point of was that just a bear market rally and we're resuming our next leg down here, with maybe the last thing being uh, that yeah. we just haven't seen that would be ev- everything that would be very typical of a recession is uh, job openings.
1: Hundred percent bear market rally. Look, it 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 was classic bear market summer doldrums rally, right? And the, the, the term "sell in May and go away" come back after Labor Day exists for a reason. Right, I mean, it, it exists, it, it, sayings don't just come out of nowhere. People don't, I wonder if I put a bunch of words together. No, they, they, they mean something. And so what happens is in the olden days of, of brokerage, particularly in the UK, uh, and, and the, you know, the Europeans know how to holiday, right? They take all of August off and then some of the other months. And, and basically, you know, if you just sold in May, the market would just kind of do nothing, kind of up and down and up and down, do, do, do nothing. And then people would come back for the Labor Day. There was a big horse race in the UK, and they would come back. And so that's where we are. And so today, I will argue, is is was the last gasp hope for you know the continuation of of this this rally, and that that's gone. Right? It couldn't even last until today. It, it started to roll over a week ago, and. You know, it eked out a small gain yesterday because it's the first day of the month, and that's when all the 401k money comes in and it was down big in the morning and then it clawed its way back. Uh, NASDAQ was still negative, but the S&P clawed its way back to, to flat. Uh, and, and that's because of all that passive money having to go into the market on the first day of the month. But look, when people come back, and I will debate anyone on this, that, that this was the Record-setting vacation year. Even Americans like holidayed in August. Dead. No one was at their desk. Everyone's coming back next week, and you know, you and I have talked about this. You know, we're doing our, our back to, to work policy starting next week, which people are going to hate, but whatever. And you, know, you guys have struggled with that. And you know, I I think people are going to come back, and traders are going to be back on their desk, and people are going to look at the data. And they're going to say, "Nope, nope, don't want to own this," and and I think we're in for a very tumultuous fall uh, if Jay Powell sticks to his guns and and uh, you know keeps firing at, at the inflation boogeyman, which it's over, right? Mm. Oil sub ninety, oil's heading to sixty by by, by here. Mark my words, by the election. Oil will be sixty dollars. Gasoline will be hovering. They're going to try to get it sub three dollars. I don't know if they'll get there. What? Could, wait. But,
0: elaborate on why that is. Why do you think gas is headed there?
1: Because they can buy votes. That's how you buy. It's like forgiving loans, right? You are buying votes. Presidential popularity and gas prices are perfectly inversely correlated. Perfect. I mean, if gas is a dollar, presidential popularity is like seventy percent. Yeah. If gas is four dollars, it's like twenty something percent. So. The only chance, and it's not even a very good chance, but the only chance the Democrats have, and this is not a political side statement, look, the current administration execution is going to go down as one of the worst ever, right? Trump was pretty bad. This one's, this one's really bad. And that means in a midterm cycle, clear the decks, right? Get them out of there so the only chance is to try to buy votes. So you've seen to, you know, example after example of trying to buy. And I, I, and I've actually been talking about this since January, that oil prices, there'll be a magic deal with Saudi. And I think we had a hint of that the other day. And um, I, I think demand is good. Demand numbers are going to, are going to be stinky too. Mm.
0: I, I have a, actually I have a but I want to earmark because I didn't get to get your opinion on student loan debt forgiveness. Um, but I, I want to. The reason I wanted to zero in on that uh, is because oil is a commodity, right? So oil, like commodities, trade based on supply and demand. But they also trade based on what governments want them to do, right? Because commodities, right. unlike stocks, actually are raw material inputs for an economy. And if you don't have oil, people die. If the price of a stock goes down, there are all these other ramifications. But it's it's less it's less direct, right? Mm-hmm.
1: It's us direct.
0: Yep. I had a thought about this. Um, I was thinking about Bitcoin and ETH, actually, uh, because mm-hmm. it, what people want, the generally accepted view is um, that these are commodities, right? These are yep. commodities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We want them to be regulated by the CFTC. Yep. Well, everyone wants them to be regulated as commodities, but the expectation is that they'll appreciate like equities. I don't know if you've noticed that, <laughs> you know, nice. everyone wants nice. them to
1: tr- nice. be regulated like yes. commodities,
0: but they want them to behave like equities. So it's a little bit of, a, and what I mean by that is like you, same thing with the price of gold, by the way, and same thing with the oil market. Like we just did, just did an episode with Luke Roman. He had a great detailing of when we moved off of a gold standard and we basically moved on to this petrodollar system where the, where the dollar is backed by oil. We needed the oil market mm-hmm. to be larger. So what happened to the price of oil? Geopolitical strings were pulled. The price of oil goes up. And I'm wondering if like, if, if Bitcoin eventually is going to fall into its – I know there, it's a money. I understand that too. But precious metals are mm-hmm. commodities in a way as well, right? So mm-hmm. if, is, is, is that Bitcoin's destiny basically to, to trade like a commodity, which is not this like steady grind up like we've seen so far. But commodities kind of go in these big like da, 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 nothing, nothing, nothing spikes, spike yeah. up and spike Stir-steps. down. You know
1: what I mean? Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's perfect. And gold – is the only asset that is both a commodity and a currency.
0: Yeah, right? monetary When it metal. trades
1: like a commodity, when it trades like a commodity, it trades like shit, right? Yeah. You don't want to really own it yeah. because it's not really that exciting. No, And the industrial uses of it are really not that exciting. And so there are lots of times in history where it trades like a commodity and it's really boring. I mean, like this year, mm. it's just really not that interesting. Now, when it trades like a currency, to your point, that's when it's interesting. And what it is, it's a store of value relative to paper, right? Our paper anniversary versus paper creation. When you can create paper out of nowhere, where you can stack up these trillion dollar bills and, and dilute the value of the currency, what happens is gold isn't priced. An ounce of gold is an ounce of gold doesn't change, doesn't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you know, break it. It's an ounce of gold, but we don't price gold in gold. Mm. We price gold in dollars or euros or yen. So the price of gold in dollars goes up when we're increasing the supply of dollars. In the last 12 months, we decreased marginally, marginally, the supply of dollars. And so gold prices are down. And so is Bitcoin. Mm. And people are like, well, that shouldn't happen. Well, of course it should happen. Okay. That's the you know commodity it's trading like a commodity not a currency now should j pal reverse and realize oh, geez i really did make a policy error and i did turn a recession into a depression and the 90 year cycle's back and and we we end up you know in in a really bad place which is certainly possible you know with the deglobalization and and you know russia and china you know turning the screws on on europe um, china still making the stupid COVID stuff. I mean, it, it is it is amazing to watch in real time a government make a decision, a policy decision, to slow their economy to the point of stall in their mind to create an opportunity to get a bigger share later. Very dangerous, right? Think about an airplane. You know, stall speed. Bad things happen. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're just short of stall speed, it's okay. But if you get to stall speed, bad things happen. Yeah. And I, and I think that's China's plan. Is is they're they're trying to, to your point, reduce the petrodollar world. Right. They're trying to price oil in renminbi and euros. I mean, renminbi and and, and rubles. And they're trying to get other countries more dependent on that axis of power like India and Pakistan and, and Southeast Asia. And it's working, right? It actually is working. And everybody says, but but the dollar's so strong. Well, it's strong against the yen and the euro, but it's not strong against the ruble. It's not strong against them. It's a little strong against the renminbi lately, but over two years, not so much. And so I, I think there's a lot of things going on geopolitically behind the scenes that people either aren't paying attention to or they're not really fully internalizing.
0: I also have a hard time with China specifically because China is so important, right? It's so wildly important. So important. But most of the information that I get, the podcasts that I listen to, the news that I consume, it's produced by Western sources, right? And I just feel like I'm missing this huge amount of stuff. And uh, you know, my uh, my best friend is guy. Uh, he's an English guy and he he pointed this thing out to me a little while ago that um that resonated with me which is you know when he's in you know he's in Europe in the UK everyone says oh my God, man, like things in America, you know, because what they hear from the BBC is like, it's all gone, it's all gone to shit. You know, basically America's yeah. falling into the sea. It's a bunch Everybody's of killing each, each other killing each other Chicago. And, then, and, and then they hate each they other. They hate each other. And
1: polarization. And then he
0: comes over here and it's like, not so bad. So we're hearing all this stuff about Europe, like, oh my God, like, what is Germany doing? Like, they're completely up shit's creek. And he's like, you know, when I go back over there, <laughs> it's not the same sentiment that I hear in, so... One thing that I just, and especially, right, if you think about the cultural bridge in between the United States and the, in Europe, just think about how wide the Gulf is in between the U.S. and China. And again, you know, I, I had this uh, conversation with actually someone who she spends her time in between, uh, you know, China and the U.S. But a big thing that uh, she's like, I haven't heard this reported on basically at all in Western media sources is it's a, you know, the big difference between the U.S. and China is the CCP doesn't abdicate power, right? Like the Republicans, Democrats, is for as dysfunctional as they are for the most part, there's at least the peaceful abdication of power and the transfer of power between these two parties. CCP is the CCP, right? They're there. So what they need to do is prove their, they need to demonstrate their value prop to their people time and time and time again, especially in the wake of like all these authoritarian things. So the cultural aspect of this is that the CCP essentially, uh, and Xi specifically, hung his hat on we handled COVID better than the West, right? See, there's the Western Mm -hmm. ideology, how they do things over there. Then there's our you know, our Asian values or whatever it is uh, today. Um, and and they really hung their head, like we handled this a lot better. So that's why COVID zero, it's like, it's become a symbol of like, this is why our system is better than the system over there, right? This is why you give up some of your freedoms because 100%. we protect you from things yeah. like COVID. And, now, and so maybe, maybe they're playing some kind of geopolitical game where they're trying to squeeze, but maybe it's also just a freaking campaign promise. <laughs>
1: you know, just like anything else. Yeah. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's again, it's a, it's a great analysis, but I I think it's, I think mean, we don't have time to, to go all the way into it, but look, it, I, I, I would drive a Kia Nero, and I just got the email. My dad the other day a Kia. That, I know I, I love my car and I, and, but I just got an email from the dealer saying, Hey, your car just turned five. Uh, and, li- and literally, and then yesterday in the mail, I got the title, so paid it off. And, uh, so I'm like, All right, I'll, I'll go. Maybe it's time I should upgrade. Maybe I should, maybe I should trade it. None. Zero. Zero. I defy, if someone watching can find me a Kia Nero, I will drive to, well, I guess I'll fly to wherever it is, and then I'll drive it home, but can't get one. And and it's because of this supply chain, daisy chain, starting from Chinese components. and And so it's just, there's a lot of things going on that are so interrelated, and this idea that that well, we in America it doesn't affect us, and we're good, and we're not going to have a recession, and we're not going to slow down, and and life is going to be great. I don't see, see it.
0: Okay. The last thing, this is what I also want to get your opinion on before I do want to get your opinion on uh, the sailor tax thing as well. But the, the 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 last thing on the economic data here is just you know we've seen a lot of starting signs of. A recession. What we haven't, what we haven't started to see is the US labor market cool. And the reason why we know yep. that's important, right, is because arguably the reason why Jerome kept his foot on the gas for as long as he did, right, last year was that we saw this, you know, persistent weakness in the labor market. The Fed has a dual mandate. They have price stability and they also have unemployment, right? So, you know, price stability obviously is taking the driver's seat, right? And he wants to be Volcker and mm-hmm. not Burns, but let's not forget it's still an important part of their mandate. And what we've seen. Yeah, you know, so we know that the Fed pays a lot of attention to this. Labor markets still look strong. There are these crazy stats, like two open jobs for every unemployed American. So I mean, walk me through. I mean, walk me through why that is when we've seen well, such a well,
1: it's 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 again, it's illusion. That jolt's number that everybody talks about, the job openings number, people don't understand technology. In the old days, you took out an ad in the local paper for hiring people local, because we were local markets. Today, in a remote work world, you don't take out an ad in the San Francisco Chronicle to hire in San Francisco. You take an ad in 50 different states. They're counting all of those as job openings. Like, it's the same job 50 times, you idiots. Wait, seriously? Is that what they're doing? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They don't it's, it's just like when we report retail sales, they don't adjust for population growth. Like, what do you mean you don't adjust for population growth? Of course, there's going to be more retail sales if there's more people buying. They don't adjust for inflation. So retail sales went up because we're paying more for gasoline,
0: I've got a. idiots. I've got a question for you on this, because this actually came up with a, in a tax discussion that I had this week, and the the, the the subject kind of came to like opportunity zones. If you look at opportunity zones are basically this, this enormous tax incentive to invest in underdeveloped uh, areas.
1: Tax dodge for billionaires. Right,
0: tax dodge for billionaires. But the, the idea was, right, like you, you want to invest in, it was a tax incentive, you could roll capital gains tax for a period of time if you invested in these under, but if you actually look at where the opportunity zones are, it was like it was really confusing, and it made very little sense. Um, and because there were these like really gentrified parts of like Williamsburg and Greenpoint that were opportunities, and turns out they were using census data. It was stale data from like they do a census once every ten years, so they were using stale yeah. census data. And parts of parts of what 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 were bad at that time have
1: now yeah. completely changed. And my when well, we've talked about the birth death ratio, yeah. right? I mean, seventy odd percent of the numbers that got reported yesterday and every Thursday aren't real right they're just they're literally manufactured data because in today's world literally you could count every worker i mean you could use satellite imagery if you want yeah but what we could actually look at their tax receipts because people actually pay well not everybody i guess but they pay their payroll taxes <laughs> right and we can count that but we we don't yeah and when, and and i i really want to go ask them i'm like so you've been using this birth death ratio thing forever okay long ago when it was hard and you'd have to go find the little pieces of paper where people wrote down and put them in file cabinets okay that that's too hard but today it's pretty easy mm. electronically i said you can watch people walking into the office i mean the it's like counting cars in, in parking lots for satellite imagery. So the fact that they still use it is weird. So I want to ask them why. Well, it's because you can create, it it reminds me of the old joke, the accountant, right? The guys interviewing the accountant, first candidate comes I in. I actually love this joke. Oh, what's What's two plus two? Four. Thank you very much. Second person comes in. Okay. What's two plus two? Four. Thank you very much. Third guy comes in. What's two plus two? What number do you want it to be? You're hired. You're hired.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I love that
1: too. (laughs) What number do you want it to be? And and I think that's the world in which we live, right? The bezel, right? As John Kenneth Galbraith called it, the bezel, which is the amount that's stolen, increases as times continue to be good because people get away with it. They're like, oh, I'll do a little more. I'll do a little more. I'll do a little more. But then somebody finally says, oh, that's bad. You're in trouble. And boom, there's a reset and regulations come out and they, and they enforce regulations that they should have been enforcing. And I think we're very close. Like if you look at the accounting shenanigans in the market today, it's the worst it's ever been, right? Things like adjusted EBITDA and, and like my favorite, <laughs> stock-based compensation is 21% of profits. Like, whoa, whoa, so hold on. Stock-based compensation, that, that's an expense. How is giving people, you know, payment in stock instead of cash a profit? I mean, I'm not, I mean, I do have an accounting degree, but I'm not an accountant. But even I understand that an expense cannot be profit. But in our magic accounting world, it is
0: sucks for everyone honestly that that system sucks for everyone because then that's basically a non cat you you have to pay tax on that too right like i like you have to pay tax on it so who's winning in this i that's what i just don't understand and
1: the management and the management mm. the the senior management of the companies and warren buffett (laughs) warren buffett is killing it on that why because management is incented to buy back stock Okay. And his structure, which is the genius, right? Everyone thought, like, oh, Warren's such a great stock picker. Bullshit. Not a great stock picker. He created the perfect investment structure. I agree. And leverage. A long-term leverage yeah. structure that never pays taxes. Unbelievable. 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 Why have- I mean, I bow down. <laughs> I, I mean, I literally think he is the, the biggest investment genius ever, but not for the reason that he sells. I
0: actually think he's an amazing he understood the niche in a market for brand. Like if you go back and look at at how, you know, one buffer, he was losing out deals to these like hotshot private equity New York people. They come in yeah. in their fancy suits and, suits, <laughs> sorry, suits and their shoes. And he was like, why am I not winning these deals, right? And then, so he okay. went anti, right? And he's like, he's the Oracle of Omaha. He sits at his little thing. He has his, who knows if he even has the Cokes. And the, Cokes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right.
1: It's such a, if g- you had five cherry Cokes a day, You'd be dead. <laughs> I'm sorry. You'd be dead. I mean, you drink five cherry Cokes a day. You die of diabetes.
0: Yeah. I mean, you'd just be dead. But you know what? The the because if you the brand that's associated with Warren Buffett is Oracle of Omaha, genius stock picker. No one points to the structure that he has. He basically bought. He found a way to leverage bets, take long term bets, and not be uh, liable to anyone.
1: And never taxed. And never text, Not ever.
0: Amazing. Yeah, I you got to answer the. It guy. is
1: amazing. No, it is amazing, and it's genius. And why other people don't do it, I don't understand. But it is genius. But
0: so Jolt's number maybe not be totally accurate. But it you know that's it's what, still, I hear, still,
1: that's what I hear. What And again, but I, I look.
0: Does it feel to I, you? It still feels like a hot labor market to me. I'd be curious what you like, what your sense of it is. You know, I know the numbers are saying this, but it's kind of no, jiving look, with what I, I'm seeing out there.
1: I, I think what you and I talk and we talk about this a lot offline. I think what we're both feeling is, is an, the entitlement generation. I'm gonna sound like an old fogey here, which maybe I am, but the entitlement generation, the participation trophy generation has this thing like, well, I need a signing bonus. I'm like, you're 23 years old. You don't get a signing bonus. Signing bonuses are for 40 year old people that we're trying to lure away from really you know high paying companies oh, you know, I I, I don't really need to work on that project unless, you know, I I get more money. I go, what do you mean? Or just the demands for base salary or things like, it's just, there's a, there's an, those things make us feel like the market's hotter than it is, where people's expectations are irrational. Yeah. And there's not this understanding of, well, if you contribute, then you get paid, but you don't just get paid to breathe. But that's the world in which we live because people did get paid to breed. They got trophies for walking on a field. You didn't have to win a game. You know, I've told the story about my son's first team, right? And took the medal in it, in the trash. 0 and 10 you don't get a trophy. I'm sorry. No trophies for 0 and 10
0: You know, it's uh, – I, I, I feel like I sit on both sides of this because um, I see the other side of it too, which is you – if you're a parent, if you're a manager – if you are a president, you need to show people the path. You need to be like, if you do X, Y, Z, then you get, if you do ABC, then you get XYZ. I feel like what has gradually happened over the course of a long period of time is, how's it, right, the important parts of the American social contract, right? Which is buy a home, you know, you get to take vacations, et cetera. We've like gradually chipped away at it. We've gradually just taken chip after chip after chip. And like nobody told, no, it was never explicitly mentioned, right? It was through... Maybe well-meaning things. It's like maybe through globalization, maybe it was to, but but whatever right. it was for. I think this probably started with millennials with our like avocado toast, and has now completely come home to roost in Gen Z, which is they're like, I'm not gonna be able to do any of the stuff that you guys did, my parents. Right. Right, so right, why right, am I right. even doing anything? You know why 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 like I, then I'm not doing it. I'm not going by your rules, and I think that's what's yeah. happening. So I I kind of empathize with both. I I see both sides of it. It's
1: a really, it's a really important perspective. And, and, and look, it's, there are things that you need to do. Maybe this is the good segue into, to the sailor thing. There are things that you need to do, even if you don't like it. Right. I don't love getting up in the morning. Mm. Let's just be honest. But, you know, we record this every Friday at eight o'clock. Well, except when I'm on vacation, but, um, And I don't like it, but I do it because it's part of life, right? Um, And there are plenty of other things I don't like to do. I don't like to pay taxes, but I pay my taxes. Why? Because that's part of the social contract. And I try to avoid paying excess taxes. Mm -hmm. I like to minimize my taxes, but there's a bright line. There's avoidance, perfectly good, and you should do everything, right? Every trust every offshore what whatever is legal whatever is determined to be sound do it but don't evade because if you evade bad things happen mm. and and then the worst part don't brag about it <laughs> right yeah. I mean don't if if you do evade or if you do do something wrong don't don't brag about it because then you make yourself a target yeah
0: so what we're talking about here is Michael Saylor, right, being in you know a, a accused of tax fraud by the Washington D.C. you know district attorney, or attorney general, whatever. I mean, you know, the, the, it's both Michael Saylor and MicroStrategy as a whole for having assisted him with evading his taxes. And, and the idea basically is he's been living in D.C. for the for a period of ten years, has paid zero income tax, and you know to adding you know insult to injury, multiple podcasts are now resurfacing clips of saying like don't you try to tax me? I'll fake, you know, dying on a boat or I'll move to this state. And it's like, okay, but you didn't do those things. You stayed in DC. Exactly, um, exactly. You know, yeah. you, if, if you had done those things, then you wouldn't have to do to pay the taxes, but you you want to live in the state and,
1: you know? message Message to everybody watching. What you do or say on Instagram, podcast, lives forever. People will find it. And don't do stupid stuff where it can be recorded. Yeah. And, you know, I, 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 I marvel. Uh, I tell, I tell the story that you know, when I was taking my, my middle son to look at colleges number of years ago, we were at, uh, one of the schools up Northeast, it doesn't matter which one. And, uh, we're trying to get in this building late at night and it was locked and there's this guy sitting out, you know, with a stack of files and a computer. He's like, oh, I'll let you in. Um, I go. What are you doing? He says, uh, disqualifying applications. <laughs> what? He says, yeah. I, I go to the person's Instagram page or, or you know, Facebook account, and if they got posts of drugs and alcohol, they're out. Like, pretty simple criteria because you got lots of applications, few spots. And I said, like, wow, okay. I bet the person that you know thought they were cool with that beer at that that high school party didn't really think it would disqualify them from the school they wanted to go to.
0: Yeah. I just, I don't know. I think actions have consequences. I just think actions have consequences. But, you know, what What the, you know, talking about just, I don't know, this whole new era that we're in, It's you know what's been a little a bit of a bummer uh, is that it just doesn't seem like we hold our leaders to particularly high standards uh, anymore either. And uh, there seems to be, it just... It's almost depressing how predictable it all is because now on Twitter, you know all the people that worship sailors are like, hey, I man, you probably should have paid your taxes. It's like, well, you know, everyone's – the people that you would think are making excuses are making excuses and you know the other people that feel competitive with Bitcoin are, are tearing them down and it's just like, well, here's just the objective. Why can't someone just say, hey, you might be a good dude and I respect this move that you did but you also should have paid your tax. Those aren't mutually exclusive ideas. I don't understand why said, that's so unpopular. Here's the
1: thing. If – And I don't know all the details and I'm I'm not, I'm not friendly with, with Michael. Um, here's the thing. If, if you set up structures in a legal framework that allowed you to have your income in a certain place and, and it was shielded from taxation because of those structures, which could have absolutely been the case right Mm -hmm. now, it could have also been the case that he got advice on certain structures and they didn't pass this. This happened to my dad. My dad worked for uh, not, it's not the same thing, but similar in that he worked for a public accounting firm way back in, in the seventies mm. and, and the partners all made good money and they didn't want to pay as much in taxes. So they, the company, the firm actually solicited bids from creative types to package up essentially tax losses. So it was a tax loss harvesting strategy. Make a long story short, it was around hotels. So there's something in the law that allowed you to pass along these losses to offset current income. Totally legal, totally. But here's what happened. Big recession in 83, and the banks, because they were collapsing, forgave the debt of these real estate developers. Well, that triggered an immediate tax event for all those partners so it's not that they they did everything by the book they thought but then the world changed and so suddenly they had to pay their taxes which was was unpleasant yeah but so i i'm not passing judgment on what he did or didn't do i I am saying that look if 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 you did the structures and then it turns out they didn't work that's maybe what the ag's claiming eh, you're probably gonna have to pay some money if you actually didn't use the structures and you were just literally, you know, flaunting the system, that's, that's less good. And that's when we do have to hold any leader Accountable. To, to a higher standard. I agree. So, um, no matter how popular. But here's the problem. Here's the real problem, Michael. We've talked about this. First, they ignore you. Then they laugh at you. Then they fight you. We are right, right in the heart of then they fight you. So don't stand up and make yourself a target yeah. for regulators who don't like what's happening anyway and who are being paid by uh, the other side to fight us. Now, what's really interesting, I saw, I saw David Rubenstein, uh, a little clip this morning, saying that he just interviewed SBF and, and was talking about how much money he's spending in Washington to influence Congress to be light on the regulatory touch. So we do have a spending war going on, right? You got the banks spending big money. I mean big, and that's all public data. Big money to try to put the clamps on crypto. Huge spending going on. And they've been very successful. Look what happened to the lenders. Look what's happened to stable coins. Lots of stuff. Yeah. But now there's going to be a, 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 literally a war, right? It's a spending war to see who can influence the most. And the best we could hope for is detente, where we just stop shooting each other and killing each other. But don't walk into the middle of that fray and put your hand up and say, yeah, I'm untouchable. Bad plan. Bad plan.
0: Yeah. I am. Um the you know the whole one thing that i'm trying to work through mentally as well is uh you know connecting because i feel really strongly about crypto this is the industry i'm probably going to spend my entire career in uh, so i think i feel like it's very exciting but if we want to connect that to if we want to connect that to some of the problems that we're talking about the rewriting of the social contract in america record wealth in, in, income inequality i crypto mm-hmm. doesn't solve the, those issues need to be solved crypto doesn't solve those issues if you go back in history if you look what needs to happen is a full society needs to correctly state the problems. They need to point at it, and then government needs to be a part of the solution. So, I understand it again. Everyone's perspective. I understand the regulator's perspective, where it's like, "Hey, you guys are doing this stuff that is, you know, unregistered securities offerings. Uh, you're flouting, you know, KYC AML. Those are bad things." I also understand. I'm probably more in the camp of people in crypto. It's like, "Hey, guys, we're creating an industry here, and we're trying to innovate. Don't hamper us, or just give us the frameworks so that we can operate in a compliant way." Which they haven't. Absolutely. Give me the rule. Just give me the rule book and I'll. And they just, they haven't done it. To, but government needs to be part of the solution here. They need to be. They need that. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Is like at some level, we can't just be like the government is, it's corrupt and it's lost, and I don't know that. Well,
1: no, and and I, I will give, it's the, probably the only thing I'll compliment Biden on, um, which is not a political leaning statement. <laughs> I mean, I I just think he's been. I just, I just think he's been one of the worst execution administrators I've ever seen. Mm. I just, I just, I just disagree after disagree. After disagree. But the one thing I, I, I will give him credit: the executive order on crypto, a plus.
0: I agree. Right? Yeah.
1: Wasn't heavy-handed. It was okay. Y'all, different regulatory, get together, and come back to me with a plan on on how you're going to divvy up the power and who's going to do what. That was, that was measured. It was actually kind of set out a nice little framework. So but I'll, give you, I'll give you an A for that. And they um, said, up to Gensler taking over, I give the SEC an A. I thought Jay Clayton did an unbelievably good job being prudent, being consistent. Consistency is all we want, right? If I know the rules and I know they're not going to change, I can play the game. But if the rules are constantly changing, I mean, imagine being up to to bat, and you know you got two strikes, and then the ump says you're out. What do you mean? I got another pitch? No, no, no. I just changed the rules. Two strikes, you're out. I got I got to get home. So you can't change the rules in the middle of the game.
0: Agreed. I'm completely. I, I'm completely on that page. Um, actually, let's just do super quick lightning round. What did you think of the ten thousand uh, dollar up to twenty for Pell Grant uh, recipients? What did you think of the student you know, debt forgiveness? I,
1: Normally, I would say dumbest idea ever, hate, but my wife turned me around. She did some work, right? She actually did some work and, and and looked at some opinions. And I I don't like the idea of canceling debt because somebody's liability is someone else's asset. I hate that, right? If I bought a bond backed by that debt, well, how do I get paid? Well. The government is assuming that liability. So in theory, the asset holders can be made hold. Okay. Well, who's gonna pay right for the government? Everyone. Well, taxes, everyone. Okay, so now I don't love that, but here's here's what I what I I believe in social safety net. Absolutely believe it. And I believe that if you try and you succeed, you shouldn't get it. Right? Like I believe <laughs> no. Probably gonna pay for this later, but I believe that I've been paying in Social Security my whole life, and Touchwood, you know, been lucky, and I don't, I shouldn't get to claim it. It's like you pay your insurance premiums on your house. Your house does not burn down. Please don't burn down. Okay, you don't get your premiums back. Now we don't run it like an insurance company. We don't invest the proceeds and and make it work like Tomasic does or government of Singapore. But that said, I do think that if you tried to get a degree and you, you went to trade school and you, you, you know, incurred some debt and you became an electrician and you're making a good living, nope, I don't believe you should get your debt repaid. If you went, got that degree, didn't make it as an electrician, got laid off, you're working at fast food, minimum wage, I'm okay with that. You know, So there's a level of if you tried and failed, that's what social safety nets for, to make it blanket for everybody. I don't like. And then she pointed out, and maybe this is a little urban legend, and maybe it's a little out of place, but I do, I do agree that the New York and California had free public education, public university education, and the Reagan administration had this guy said, and this is the quote. And again, I don't know if it's urban legend or, or real, um, that. The problem is we're creating an educated proletariat. That's bad because here's the thing. Go back to the framers. Who got to vote? Wealthy landed gentry white males. Women didn't vote. People of color didn't vote. Why? Well, they weren't educated. It was only the educated that vote because we're the only ones that know how the government. Gu- so, as much as we love what the framers wrote, you know, the, the Declaration of Independence and all that good stuff, and mm-hmm. there was some badness at the top, right? Mm-hmm. So fine, I'm okay with the rules we have, amendments and all that good stuff. But here's here's where it gets weird. If suddenly we've made a system which allows a greater portion of the population to become educated, and they were using government resources to facilitate that, it's like Head Start, my big thing. I think Head Start should be fully funded by the government. It's the most important thing we can do. We could end a lot of the poverty and a lot of the, you know, you know, people going to prison. It's all about second grade reading score. But it's the first thing they cut, right? Because it's easy. Well. If that move was deliberate to create, make it harder for people to get educated and raise themselves out of poverty, I don't like that. So again, I don't know if it's true. I think it probably is true. And that encouraged a whole swath of people, primarily people of color and uh, lower incomes, to have to take out loans some did get good jobs and and went on to to to, to survive and thrive and, and and excel but in in many cases you ended up just with a lot of debt and not that much better of a position I'm I'm, I'm actually okay with forgiving that yeah that's a long answer to the question but I, I I think I've changed a little bit in that at first I thought it was a dumb idea now I'll say for a certain percentage of people I think it actually does make some sense
0: uh- First of all, I think it's great to change your mind, and props to you and your wife's relationship. She's getting you to change your mind. That's awesome. Uh, as far in as you guys are, that that just brings a smile to my face. Uh, the you know, honestly, the way I feel about it is, I'm completely torn because I think that I basically my if I had to do a maxim here, invest in the youth. And you know, I kind of heard this thing where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, forgiveness. First of all, student loan debt. The percentage rates on that are so much higher than many other. There, I'm like, it's like right. six or seven percent in many cases. That's extremely high, Um, and I just think unburdening a group of like the the youth that's a good investment in the future, right? If like X percentage of those people do on the margin, you know, slightly more activity, like it, it should pay for itself. But it's also, you know, it's like if you have five kids, you give dessert to one of them and see how happy everyone is. It's just it's very difficult to give handouts to small. And it's just one more data point in, you know, we've been kind of outlining these two potential futures for the U.S. Austerity, raising rates. Restoring, uh, you know, taking our medicine, or going the other way—handouts, inflation, financial oppression—and it's just this is another tick in the box of you know yeah. headed towards. I, the second here's
1: way. another. Here's a, I, I will push back just a touch. Please do I, No, no, no. I, no, I agree with you, but I—the only pushback I have. Investing in the youth, hundred mm-hmm. percent, best thing you can do. Here's the problem. Does forgiving the debt, actually invest, have you increased that person's skills? Have you given them a better future? You've, you've basically given them more money to spend, but I don't know. I don't know if we, if, if, because to me, what I'd rather do is put them back in school, right? If, If somebody went to school to get a degree and they didn't get the degree that allowed them to move up, you know? However we, we measure that, then let's get more education. It's, it's like I use the example of when Trump came down to North Carolina uh, when his campaign, he, he went to this woman. This woman worked at a textile mill. She said, like, how are you going to get my job back? She's like, I promise you I'm going to get your job back. I'm like, no, you're not. There is zero chance textiles are ever coming back from China.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Zero. I mean, zero. So the only chance she has is to get some education to find a new job. Yeah. Trump didn't do that for her. She's still waiting for her job to come back and is never coming back. What she needs is a way for free, right? Because we could definitely do this. We could create an education system that is free for people that qualify, right? And you know everyone's arguing about well, the Ivy League kid who took out twenty thousand dollars student loan shouldn't get it repaid. Well, it depends if their parents are gazillionaires. I agree. If they're a Pell Grant kid, I'd I'd probably disagree. Yeah. I mean, or a a QuestBridge kid, (sighs) first generation. I probably disagree. So now look, flip side is you. Back to my wife. My wife and I. You know, we were young, right? We were, I uh, look at the picture. Right? It's right, it's right over there. You can actually see it over there. Nice. Right there. Right there. I mean, and you can't really see it, but we, we look like children. I mean, we were children. We were 23 and 22. And i like, who let us get married? But my parents actually tried. Like, well, you know, if you guys get married, we're not paying for your second year of business school. Thinking that might deter us to wait a year like, yeah, whatever. I'll just get loans. So I took out my 20K and 10 years later, I made the last payment and I'm proud of that. And it taught me some things, but it's different, right? I mean, I it's, had the first five years paid for. It's di- yeah. I I No, it's way different. Yeah. It's way different. I had the first five years paid for. I got a job. Now I wasn't making a lot of money, $35,000 way back when, but I got a good job. I wasn't working at a McDonald's or a Wendy's, and, and trying to claw my way up. I, I got a good job in an insurance company, and 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 you know, I, I I made it work. But I do remember borrowing from one credit card to pay off another credit card in my early days, yeah. and, and I and I did it, and and I survived it, and I and I did learn about discipline. I learned about budgeting, and I learned, and all those are good things. But at the end of the day. I'm privileged, right? I mean, I, I know I had a way big head start relative to most people and I'm grateful yeah. for my parents and I'm grateful for 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 just, you know, that blessing from above. But I I actually do feel really strongly about this and I've, I've actually done a lot. I, I don't I mean, like, I don't mean, a, again, a braggadocio way, but, you know, I do have multiple foundations that focus only on early childhood education. Mm-hmm. I do believe in this. I do I think- you know, we, we, we can make a difference. And I, I think if, if we had leaders who focused on the problem as opposed to buying votes, I believe this is a stunt to buy votes. I believe it's nothing more than that. Now, some good will come of it, yeah, I believe. I agree. Um, but I think it should be a, a more blanket plan to raise up, to invest in those youth and this again, a long way of, of agreeing that your point, invest in youth is always a good investment. Mm-hmm. But I don't think this is that. I, I really don't. Yeah.
0: Mark, unfortunately, we've run out of time. Best hour of my week, my yep. friend, one year. I will see you awesome. at the same time next
1: week. Awesome. Congrats. <laughs> thank you. for Thank you for the invitation originally. Thank you for, for making this uh, so much fun. And uh, I look forward to the next 31,709 years
0: together.
1: <laughs> Me too. Me too. <laughs>
0: Cheers, buddy. Bye.